Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In today's episode, our guest is Katie Moses, founder and managing director of Cam Media, an exciting boutique creative inside agency working with companies to understand your market and your customers. Katie and I talked about the pandemic and its impact on hospitality and retail, how the new normal looks that employees and consumer will never forget, and thereby the power of doing the right thing right now is more important than ever. Katie will also give some very solid advice in the end of the episode on how to survive and thrive in the coming period. You have some killer insight coming for you here, so grab coffee and pen and notebook and enjoy. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. We are in the end of this uh, lockdown period and we are slowly moving towards, I think it's Sunday, we're going to get an announcement from the uh, Prime Minister, we have Thursday today, that there's going to be a lift in the lockdown. And today I have a guest with me and we agreed that we're going to talk a bit about the future and how to bounce back from all this. For this conversation, we have uh, Katie from Cam Media with us. We're going to be talking a bit about, you know, both what's going on, but also what you need to be aware of as an operator when it comes to your customers specifically as we go into the next phase of this or the next phases, I would rather say. So Katie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for inviting me. So Katie, for people that doesn't know who you are out there and what Cam Media does and uh, what you guys are up to and what, what your passion is, do you have like a, you know, a quick elevator pitch that just give them a bit of the context and why you are involved in hospital? We are a bespoke research agency. We specialize in grocery retail and hospitality. Hospitality is a particular passion of mine. We have been going for about six years now. And the main thing that we do is we help to create creative solutions to the questions that our clients have in and around the consumer. Uh, And also, we, we also do a lot of research looking at people's employees and then sort of employee sentiment as well. But essentially, it's all about who should businesses listen to in order to further benefit their own businesses, whether that's selling more products, whether that's getting more people through the door. Our whole MO is making people as obsessive about insight and information as we are. Katie, so what question have you been asking yourself with this pandemic? Because, you know, a lot has gone on. You know, we've, we've heard it all, you know, furlough, closure, administration, very difficult times ahead. People talk about very big numbers of restaurant units that may not open or be, be closed very quickly after the lift of the, the, the lockdown. What question have you been asking yourself during all this? I think the main thing I'm fascinated to know is how agile are we as an industry? How much are we able to take a business that has traditionally been single faceted, so whether that's only delivery or or it's only food or it's a wet ledge pub, whatever it is, how are we able as an industry to take that business and pivot it to make sure that we can survive such an uncertain period as this and that's what I've really been spending my time looking at is what have businesses been doing and then critically how have consumers been responding to those changes within those businesses and that's a really good question because I think you've seen both sides in my view so you've seen some very creative pivoting and you also seen somebody that almost feels like they just gave up very quickly when this hit them it's a couple of examples where you would say that 
they absolutely, from your point of view, really took this challenge on and have pivoted and are trying to do things to get on out on the other side. There are countless amounts of businesses that have done this. I've been really incredibly impressed with some of the smaller pub, maybe not maybe not even groups, but you know, people I don't know if you know Yummy Pubs, Tim Foster. But yeah, what they've done, they've turned the wire mill, which um, is a beautiful pub right on a lake down in Surrey. In fact, I will let you know it's the place I had my first ever legal alcoholic drink. And you know, they've taken this beautiful old pub that was, was very traditional in lots of ways in the in the food that it served and the sort of ethos around it. And they've essentially turned it into a massive a community hub. It's almost like a convenience store in some ways and then it's also doing meals for the homeless uh, meals for the NHS you know they're doing some great things and that's in in conjunction with its sister pub the Summerstown up in near King's Cross where actually unluckily for the homeless people of North London I will be going to help and cook Tuesday of next week finally going to get out of my house and get up there and do that so I'm really impressed with some of these sort of individual or small operators who uh, I'm not even sure that a lot of them are doing it for survival because I don't think a lot of them are making any money for it I think it's more about the fact that, that pubs have always been the centre of the community in the UK. And I think that it's about hanging on to that place and proving that actually they're still worthy of that title, which I really believe they are. So that that's one area I've been really impressed with. I've also looked at some of the initiatives that some of the chains have been doing, you know, and I think Leon would jump to anyone's mind. So it's an, it's an easy me to choose but the the people that were quickest to instigate social distancing contactless payments and the people that were quick enough to to create an environment that was safe for their employees and for their customers but also still managed to to give the same level of quality of service and of product going out the door and i think that has been absolutely fascinating to watch and and you know there is no shame in deciding that actually you can't get to the quality level of service and product that you want to go out of the door and therefore you're not going to open for delivery. And I think that we need to be careful in this industry to understand that not everybody has the ability and the facility to pivot to that. But for those that have, it's been an impressive turnaround. I mean, I, I tell you who else I think was great is I did some work with Hakasan and I spoke to the European director, European and UK director, a uh, week into lockdown. And they managed to turn one of their Hakasan London branches around from having never done takeaway and delivery to doing takeaway and delivery and making a profit within three days. They turned it all around and they were ready to go. The, the chameleon-like industry that we're in, we are so well suited to be able to cope in these times of trouble. And that's three very, very different examples, I think. Yeah, it's three really good examples as well, especially Hakasan. I didn't know they actually done that. So I think that's very impressive. Three days. I, I know what it takes to turn into delivery. They might have worked night and day to get that done. It shows again, you know, the, the commitment in, within their organization to be able to do that so now we are you know we, we've gone past some six seven weeks with all this going on and we've seen a lot of pivoting transformation and now we go into a, this is the first phase of how many five seven eight i don't know probably know better by monday morning what what it means and easing up for things it probably doesn't mean restaurants opening full blow it means something around social distance and like that so what is your your view on this you know the next phases that comes and what should the operator look out for as they start to reopen slowly? The first thing that we need to understand as operators is what does our customer now expect of us? 
because it's going to be very, very different. You know, it, whether I was a big McDonald's fan or whether I was dining at Nobu five times a week, I'm going to be a very different consumer from who I was two months ago. And, and obviously I run a research firm, so of course I would say this, but I truly do mean it in that, you know, whoever Joe Bloggs was that was walking through your door before, that person has now changed. They've been through quite a traumatic experience. We're expecting them to walk back into our industry with us just being the same as we were when they walked out of it. And that's just not acceptable because the consumer is going to be demanding a lot more. I mean, you know, everything from value, because I mean, that we think that the average monthly income has gone down by about £517 a month, I believe, per household. So, you know, an average disposable income falls about 17%. So that doesn't mean that we need to suddenly put all of our prices rock bottom and, and start discounting. Again, I, I, I hate discounting. I think it is a race to the bottom. But what it means is that we've got to understand that the consumer has a different view of us and a different view of things like value. And what used to be valuable to them then is very different from what's valuable to them now. So I think the first thing that any business needs to understand, and, you know, we're starting to get calls in the last couple of days, we're starting to get calls from our clients who had paused all research and are now saying, right, we've got to understand who we're dealing with now. That would be the number one piece of advice I would say to anyone. Research doesn't have to be expensive. You don't have to go out there and do a £50,000 piece of research. You know, you can organise a Zoom listening group with 10 of your loyal customers. You can organise online chats and conversations, but you need to understand what's important to them now. And I guess that's one of the, the things that, you know, you start need to do, do now really to understand where they are. And I guess that will change as well. As you said, right now, you know, it's a, 70% down there will be people that have jobs right now and then in two months time don't have jobs and don't have the same spending power and they still would go out for a meal at some point because it's again some kind of normality check but they're going to be very wary about how they spent their food dollars and who they spent them with and you need to almost understand what triggers them in a way what, what are they the lower needs in the Maslow hierarchy they need to satisfy yeah absolutely and I think that we'll see a, a massive increase I mean you know it's obvious to say but in the importance of things like hygiene what I would really like to understand and we're about to launch a program to, to find this out from consumers is what's the hierarchy of those needs you know do I need to have somebody serving me with gloves and a mask on for me to feel comfortable going out to a restaurant or does somebody serving me with gloves and a mask on make me feel a bit anxious so I'm not going to go to that restaurant and again until we actually ask those questions to consumers I don't think that we know I think that a habit takes six weeks to form and we have formed habits now that will take some time to break and I actually don't think you know people keep using the phrase the new normal and, and certainly we use it in a white paper we did recently I don't think there will be a new normal for quite some time I think it will be an absolute moving feast yeah and I guess this is it you know as long as there's no uh, no cure no vaccine this is where we are. We can talk about herd immunity. We can talk about testing and all that. But I talked with a friend of mine, but uh, he said, I don't want to expose myself for risk. I said, you will have to expose yourself for risk because as long as you don't have the vaccine and you don't have it injected into you and you actually know it works because one thing is developing a vaccine. Another thing is finding out if it does the job, you will be able to become ill again. So do you think there's going to be bounce backs, yo-yo effects in, in this when we start opening up again and they say, well, we have to put some tougher measures on because we open too fast or do you think we're really going to get it right with our our rollout and i guess this is really going to impact restaurants there's a lot of trust do i feel safe as you said and so on gosh that's a really interesting question michael i think essentially that comes down to do i trust the government's judgment or not <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, going on on past experience of this, I'm not too sure. But we, what what we need is some kind of phased opening. That's an absolute certainty because there's no way that consumers are going to go back to behaving how they did immediately. Therefore, we need to prepare for that. We need to prepare for the fact they will eat out less. They will drink out less. We've done research recently. I think it's around 32% of people said that they are planning on eating out and drinking out less all the rest of the year. You know, we need to understand that the government, I hope, is listening. And I think that, you know, you've got people like um, UK Hospitality and the BBPA and BII. They're all doing a fantastic job in, in getting out there and letting the government know that even if the doors are opened fully, which I don't think they will be, but even if they are, it's not sustainable if we've only got 60% of the footfall that we used to have when we've still got 100% of the salaries and rents and costs. So I think that we have to be incredibly careful. And, you know, I've spoken to so many operators over the last few weeks who have just said, I would rather not open unless I know that I'm providing a safe place for my employees to work, a safe place for my customers to come. And that actually, from a commercial point of view, and, you know, let's not be afraid to talk about the fact that we need to make money. I mean, the hospitality industry is rare in so much as it's got so many passionate people in. And, you know, a lot of people don't go into it to become millionaires, but we've all still got bills to pay. And I think unless we are in a situation where we can get back up to the level that we all need individually and every business is different, then I don't think that we should be opening fully. And I hope that the government understands that and puts in some kind of phased opening and phasing out of furlough rather than letting it it, it stop and all the other support that's been available to the industry currently. And it's quite interesting what you just mentioned there because I saw Nisha Katona from Mowgli was out yesterday and say exactly the same thing that we, we, we went out earlier than the government shut us down and we're not going to open before we feel safe as an organization for our people first of all, and our customers. And and we have to have faith and have patience in a way in doing the right thing because they can lose a lot of money opening as well. Uh, there's, there's cost that starts from the day you, you can't control from the day you open because you can't just shut down again. When you open, you're open. So I think you, you're absolutely right. You talked about the white paper and, and I you sent it to me the other week and I've been I've been reading it and I think you have some like key things in this white paper. You have six things you say that these are the trends operators need to be aware of. And I think it would be good just to share some of that with people out there because I think there's some really great content in there and some really food for thoughts there to reflect on as an operator you need to be aware of. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we, we identified these six key areas and, and actually, just going back on something that that you just said about you know not wanting a second shutdown and you you know one of the key areas that we identified is never never forget which we put in brackets on it corporate and social responsibility I don't believe that that phrase should ever possibly be used again because it's well it's so corporate and it almost says we're doing this because we know we should do and we're responsible this and actually i think that we need to look at you know businesses like yourselves businesses like leon i guess my strongest belief is however you behave as a individual as a human being as a business as a corporation in this crisis situation is how consumers will see you going forward they won't forget they are not going to forget who did the right thing and who didn't and we've already seen that I and mean, you see the sort of brand equity of someone like weatherspoons just absolutely sunk straight to the bottom after the comments that tim martin made will it recover 
than that. Possibly they've got incredibly loyal customers. So yeah, there's a likelihood it would. But we actually, we did some research just shortly before the um, lockdown about some corporate and social responsibility. And we already knew then that consumers wanted to buy from brands or venues, outlets, operators that care. And we know that 41% of the people that we spoke to, I think we spoke to a thousand consumers, told us that the impact on their health and the impact on environment of the brand that they were buying from was important enough for them to change brands. That is only going to have grown, Michael. That's not going to have lessened in this situation. It's going to be even more important as to what effect does this business have on the environment? What's their ethical stance? What charity work have they done? You know, what's their impact on my health and the health of the nation? All of that is going to be even more important when we come through this lockdown. If you do the right things from, as you said, uh, some operators that have done things not even making money, but they do it because they feel they have an obligation for their local community or just in general for society. They haven't done that uh, and I can talk for myself and my team in the bare kitchen. We didn't do it because it sounded like the right media strategy. We just immediately knew we have to do the right thing. And because, first of all, it's one of our beliefs and values. And I guess these companies will also come out on the other side with a team that's so engaged and so motivated to drive them to success, you know, no matter how hard it's going to be, because everybody's going to have a hard time, rebuild the business up again. And I guess that's, again, a powerful thing, you know, Honest Burgers, again, how they have dealt with this. I think it's been, you know, very great to see how they dealt with it from day one, how they communicated. Hawksmore is another great example, how they've dealt with the, the situation, especially taking care of their staff. I think you're absolutely right. The food dollar a pound will will land with these operators over a long term. It's in my mind, it's not actually corporate and social responsibility. It's trust. And it's, it's do I trust this business to do the right thing when the chips are down. And if they do, then you can bet your bottom dollar that they're probably going to look out for me. You know, the quality of their food is probably going to be what they say it is. They're probably going to treat their staff really well. They're probably going to reach out to charities because they want to, not because it's the right thing to do. And actually, all of those areas build up a personality of a brand for a consumer. And if any parts of that personality are falling down, then the, any loyalty you might have felt to that brand or any desire to try that brand will dissipate very quickly. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I guess it's, uh, there's going to be a list, if it's public or not, in consumers' head of the company that did the right thing. And they will remember, you know, much more than you think. I definitely uh, heard some people say they were very shocked about the, the Weatherspoon thing, but also EasyJet's payout to shareholders it was another example of um, where people were just shocked. You know, there's a guy, a friend of mine, he travels a lot with EasyJet and he said, I can't fly with them anymore. I just can't. And maybe it's convenient, but it's not the right thing to do. I can't support that. I and I absolutely agree with him. I mean, I'm I'm going to struggle with that because I've been boycotting Ryanair for three years, so I might need to use EasyJet. But I'm, I'm certainly going to try to avoid using them. Absolutely, and I will vote with my feet. And and consumers will do that. One of the other points that we make in this white paper, I think, which which leads on from that, is the idea of connection and collaboration. We've seen that some of those big brands. I mean, I don't know if you know Big Bid Food and Breaks. They're wholesalers, sworn enemies most of the time. They've essentially pooled all of their resources to make sure that they can get, you know, the vital supplies to those at risk and deliver direct to customer or to the operators that are open for delivery and uh, help the NHS, etc. And I and I think that that's another area that the consumer 
they will have their eyes open. They are going to see who's helping people and who's putting up barriers because they're allowing old rivalries or competition to stand in the way. And I think that that's something that we, you know, I think something we'll see coming out of this as well is a lot more collaboration to make sure that supply chains are stronger and, you know, ecosystems work better. Um, And I think that certainly operators should be looking at who should they be collaborating with? What moves can they make now to collaborate with people to better serve their customers or their employees for the longer term? And I think that we'll see a lot more partnerships like the Bid Food and Breaks one. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. And there's also it's going to be partnerships that goes beyond industries, I think, with charities, with organizations that can help with other things than delivering food. It's going to be across technology. Uh, I think there's going to be like, you know, you will understand that as a sector, you're not just your own sector but you actually have to work with other sectors to make it work and i've already seen that myself that it, and it's actually much easier to have those conversations because all the all the red tape is gone you don't have to oh we have to see if we can do that in three months no, okay we need to do an impact now let's get moving how do we do it what is the first step and i think you need as a business you need to take advantage of this right now you know you can ask yourself the question who would you like to be standing next to in three years time when you're out of this and what are you going to be celebrating of, of massive achievements that's not only profit but actually making massive impact on the people and planet exactly it's about reshaping your entire ecosystem essentially who, who should you be collaborating with you know what have you got that you can put out to the industry that helps other people. We're seeing quite a lot of the tech companies do this, actually, which I think is quite exciting, you know, giving people the tech capability that they didn't have before to achieve what they need to achieve. One of the a great story that, that was told to me in the last couple of weeks is about Volvo. So in 1959, Volvo invented the three-point seatbelt, which obviously saved millions and millions of lives because they made the patent available to everyone in the interest of public safety. Um, it's estimated that since then, the invention has saved over one million lives, was the story. I was told, you know, so I think we need to look at incidences like that and think we are in an unprecedented situation. What have we got or what can we share as a company within our industry that will help to save lives metaphorically rather than literally in so much as save businesses and and, and save parts of the industry that we don't want to lose? But also, how can we help each other to make sure that we are still caring for the vulnerable and, and that we are still caring for our key workers, which are two areas that suddenly we're all out there and we'll, we'll all be clapping at eight o'clock tonight and we'll, we'll all cheering these heroes. But where was our appreciation of these people beforehand? Very good point, yeah, because they were almost like in the bottom of society. Teachers, hospital workers, firefighters, police officers. And I think, again, I hope that this will bring the, you know, understanding what these people actually put out there of themselves and what they contribute with. Yeah, and we, we cannot and we must not go back to a situation where we don't value the people who keep our world turning. And that's all part of the sort of never forget trend that we mentioned in the white paper is, you know, consumers won't forget, but nor should we. None of us individually should forget the situation that we found ourselves in and the people that have helped us to get out of it. Yeah, and I guess also because a lot of people, you know, it's about this, you know, going on this route of helping with charity, connect and collaborate with them and and never forget is also understand that this is not over yet. It's just the first phase we come out of, the lockdown, and then there's going to be, you know, even more hardship for the many people that's going to lose their job in hospitality. There might not be another job for them to get and that's going to put them on, you know, the pavement. You know, they just want to step from the pavement. That's in a way make me, you know, sometimes understanding that as well, that how do you actually work with others to help to get them job? 
after this. You have a responsibility as an employer if you're still moving on, but you have to leave somebody behind to make sure they get jobs and you know other industries. What can you do there? What is your role in that? How can you connect and collaborate with retail? Have you seen some operators have done? Yeah, some great in- initiatives there to, to connect the two industries. We actually work across grocery retail as well. So we've seen a lot of that happening between our clients, which has been fantastic. I think there's another point to make here as well, Michael. And it's again, one of the trends that we, we raised, um, which we've called ambient wellness. It's just essentially the idea that wellness and emotional and mental well-being has become a bit more front of mind and a bit more talked about anyway, way before this. But what I've found, and I don't know if you have as well, but my conversations with my contacts in the industry, who some of whom are friends, others are acquaintances, have become more than skin deep now. I'm genuinely interested. Are you okay? How are you feeling? Are you having down days, up days? Is there anything we can do to help that? You know, right now, hand hygiene and washing your hands and wiping down surfaces is obviously very, very much front of people's minds. But I also believe that we are going to see an increase in people talking about emotional well-being and and, and mental well-being because I think, you know, this has been a traumatic situation. And I think that the brands that will come out of this as winners are the ones that understand that the consumer needs help reconnecting to normal life. It's not just about the reassurance of the physicalities of going out to eat and drink in hospitality, but it's also about, you know, how are we helping to support your mental and emotional redevelopment after this situation yeah and i guess there's this thing again going away from this transaction focus to exactly in a, a relationship and an emotional connection you do with our customers i know a lot of people have talked about this over the last year oh, we need to create a customer experience no no what you really need to build is relationship they have to feel that you actually bring something to the table that makes their life better from where they come from because they, that's what you you were hunger for for feeling better or getting better or getting more money or yeah there, there's so many there's all about going to be better how you can help people feel better that's the value you're looking for absolutely and i tell you what that, that that's such a valid point because so let's just say towards the end of last year i did a lot of presentations on the idea of experiential and i think we did some research where we said something like 70% of the customers that we spoke to said the reason they they wanted their pub bar or restaurant to provide them with an experience that they can't get at home we've all just got used to creating those experiences at home so to get customers back out you know to make you know tonight I'm going to watch the National Theatre live stream which I you know I've watched every Thursday really enjoy it you know I'm going to have some food delivered tomorrow and you know if we're going to get consumers out of their houses off their sofas out of their kitchens where they have learned to cook better they've been doing cookery programs they've been doing cooking for their neighbours or getting their kids to cook they've been baking you know if we're going to get those people back out and into our industry it's no longer about providing an experience that they can't get at home because they've learned how to recreate that experience so it is about nourishing them it's about giving them something that they can't get at home but that they're emotionally attached to Because otherwise, if we look at it in any other way, then we are just looking at a transactional relationship. And and that's not going to be good enough, I don't think, in this new normal. It's about how do you actually take this to the next level? People would look at food, they will be presented and think, can I do this better at home? Yeah, I can do this better at home. And it will not only be, you know, chefs, it will be normal people that have really upskilled themselves again, like in, in the old days. And they also, they would know what things cost because suddenly they've been doing a lot of food. I'm saying, I'm not accepting paying that for 
you know, a scramble egg and a piece of toast. That's that's just ridiculous. So I think you're absolutely right. You also talk about what I think is very interesting, you know, and, and, a, and a subject that has been beaten on a lot the last six weeks, delivery. And I guess that in a way we talked about it for years. This is the new big thing. Now it's here. You know, it's definitely been cemented over the last six weeks. This is the thing called a delivery e-commerce. You know, I would say, Suddenly, restaurant got new competitors as well. The smaller, you know, retail units, butchers, greengrocers, they suddenly can compete with restaurants' revenue as well because suddenly they gone digital as well and find out they can do stuff and sell stuff. I have a little butcher down the road. They are now selling bread. You know, they're selling stuff they never had before. Sausage rolls, finished product, half finished products. They suddenly he's found out there's a market for me. I just need to have great products on the shelves. He says, it's never been better. I'm absolutely killing it. He said. My butcher and my fishmonger, I tell you, when the skies open up again, there's going to be a lot of butchers and fishmongers in Mauritius, I reckon. On the, on the subject of delivery, I'll give you some stats here, actually, Michael, because we ran some research and we spoke to 250 operators. And this is, yeah, three weeks ago. And we said to them, have you set up a delivery service since lockdown? 25% of the people we spoke to had a further 20% we're planning on it but then I think the main interesting stat is that 80% said they intend to continue to offer it after lockdown what we're seeing is we had about 10% I think of the industry that were offering delivery before this particular crisis we've now got around 35% offering it another 20% so we're looking at when we come out of this lockdown at least 55 to 60% will have some kind of delivery or takeaway service set up and 80% intend to continue that I mean, that's massive. That's a real change for this industry. Yeah, and I guess, again, it'd be interesting to see how they, you know, third-party platforms and how they would play their role in this. They also found out that actually they can be quite a lot in control of this themselves. I talked with an operator, our local pizza guy, and he said that he's found out there's no reason to use third party. They still do it a bit, he said, but actually... I actually can run this myself with click and collect and delivery. I was very scared of it because I thought nobody would come and buy from me, but they know me, they trust me. And they said they would rather buy from him directly than Deliveroo because they know that there's a fee involved. And they want to support the local venue. To trial delivery now is an absolute must. Even if you weren't thinking of doing it before and you were thinking, actually, I'm still not really ready for it. You need to trial it now because right now, consumers we know from other research that we've done are much more accepting of screw-ups. You know, if something doesn't quite go right, they're a bit like, yeah, well, there's a global pandemic going on. We're going to let you off. So this is really the time that smart brands will use to experiment in how their longer term plans look. And also, I think that with any kind of advancement in the hospitality industry that involves tech, and I'm not saying that that tech is not the right way to go, it is absolutely the right way to go for, for a lot of brands. We also forget how simple the, you know, one man band doing it himself, as you just said about your local pizza guy, We've got tiny little but sort of quite upmarket garden centre just down where I live in South London. And they closed for the first three weeks because obviously all garden centres had to close. And they are now doing delivery only. And they'd never done that before in their lives. And do you know who's doing the deliveries? The two brother-in-laws of the two guys who own it who used to be black cab drivers. And who, of course, are now getting not enough business through the black cab driving. So they're now delivering. You know, and that's that's just about bringing in the people that have the right expertise, being brave enough to trial it. And the consumer will be forgiving at the moment. And they, they want you to trial it because in the long term, if it works, it's going to be good for them. And they know that. 
and you can still, you know, you can quickly improve it right now and then the consumer will notice oh they, they actually improved because it's so difficult in a there's no normal now but in a in a world where everything has to be perfect at some point we'll get to that point where you know you're not allowed to make mistake in the same levels now so i totally agree that's a really good point you have i didn't know garden centers were delivering now but I, that's very interesting to see they even them they know they need to get to the door of the consumers now. Absolutely. I've got all my compost delivered. I've got all my tomato seeds, my cucumber seeds. I've got a, I've got a whole little uh, the good life vegetable patch going on now. The report you worked on, I guess they people can get the, the white paper on your, your website. Now we talked about it a couple of times. We've made the white paper and quite a lot of our other research absolutely free of charge for everybody to download. Some of it is from prior to lockdown. We've also done a lot of work within lockdown. The main idea was that we just wanted to help the industry. And the fact is, if the industry's closed, they're not going to be spending money on research. We understand that. Hopefully, we're going to start to see an uplift in that now as we start to consider how we're going to get back to work and what the consumers want from us. So we're starting to work on some projects like that. If you were a leader of an operation right now, what trend would you start with? You, you mentioned the delivery. If you've done that, let's say that the savvy operators have already either either they're trying it out right now or they are, they're already having success with it. What is the next thing they need to look into in your, your trends? On the other side, you say this is an absolutely must you get a handle on this. Actually, I think I would start with my employees. I would start with my employees and I would say, what do you think we've done well over this period? Where could we have improved as a business? How safe do you feel coming to work? How likely are you to stay working with us? There will be a number of people who will now have maybe switched industries and have gone, you know, as we mentioned earlier, have gone over to retail. We've obviously still got the Brexit situation hanging over us. So we're losing staff left, right and centre because of that. So the first thing I would want to be assured of is the staff that I need to keep my operation running and who I trust and who I love and who, I, I, who I've spent time and effort training. I would want to know that they were going to stay with me so that if my employees are at the right standard and if they're happy, then I know that I've got a, I've got a much bigger chance of keeping my consumers and my customers happy. So that would be the first thing I would be doing. The second thing I would be doing is I would be looking at what have I done? Am I proud of how I've acted? in this time and is there a way that perhaps maybe some of my values need to change you know we talk about businesses having values that they put in place when and I think actually Cam I can absolutely tell you are guilty of doing this when we opened six and a half years ago we decided what our six values were and we've lived by them but we haven't revisited them and actually I think it's time that a lot of companies revisited their values and make sure they're fit for purpose in the modern world yeah and also that everybody understands what direction we're going in what what is the the, the bigger objective what banner I'll be marching under as I've talked with many of uh, you know the people I work with to say that I think you need to really as you said to, to connect with your people understand where they are and try to evolve them in this process of relaunching your business and together with them revisit your values and reframing them in the best possible way you can on a Zoom call it's your only option right now but you have the time to talk about this now you didn't have the time before there's always something else like, oh we're just going to finish this workshop then we're going to write it up and send it out but now you actually have a, an opportunity to work even if you wanted to revisit the old value to take one value at a time a week and talk about how have we displayed that before and during how we want to display it after you know those simple questions will give so much food for thought as a as a leader where your people are and how much trust they have in your in your business as well i think we need to also have a bit more agility it's you know, we see these massive companies with, with numerous amounts of outlets and that, you know, it's the old oil tanker phrase that they take a long time to turn. And I think we have just learned in the last couple of months that we don't have a long time to turn sometimes. And we need to be able to, to work 
quickly to change our working practices or our values or whether we do delivery or not. You know, I had a conversation with somebody who remained nameless the other day who said, I'm never going to listen to anyone who tells me something's going to take three months ever again. These things just don't need to take that long. And actually, people can make quicker decisions and we can be more agile as companies. And that would be the other thing that I would recommend that companies in our industry do at the moment. How agile are you? How quickly can you change? And if you've got blocks in the way of making those changes and pivoting as we you know, started off the conversation with, then you need to work on removing those so that you can change if needs be and you can still compete in the market. You know, that's the other thing as well. You know, we talked earlier about the fact that a lot of companies we might lose and we will do. So the market is going to become super competitive and the consumer now has the choice of all of the different eating out and drinking out places it had plus the majority of those doing takeaway. So all of a sudden, you you know, you're almost doubling what the consumer has access to. So what are you going to do to get that emotional connection and relationship with the consumer? I had a conversation with a client of mine the other day, and we were talking about how to get the team ready. In that session, we get to the conclusion that actually there is a massive skill gap in the organization. So there's enough people, but there's actually people that their skills within that his business he doesn't have compared to the opportunities anyway. And there's like, there's two options. You you can retrain or you need to go out and acquire new skills. So it's also, you know, it's good to take care of your people in a way, but also understanding what does the organization need to move forward. And it can actually take some of our very good people and upskill them to digital skills, e-commerce, marketing skills, whatever it is. What kind of senior team do I need to do this? Is there too many senior people in my organization? Is that's the productivity channels? He talked about exactly the same thing as you said, that suddenly I could get my people to do things in no time because they're under threat, as I said, it's fear. So they remove all the politics and all the, the mid-management disappear in one go. How do you avoid that coming back? Do you actually need to think about this now? Because it's easier to fix now than in 12 months time. So there is some very, you know, in my world, some big, big challenges around how you set your team up for success. How do you set a high performing team? And then for people with a bit of a, that wants to look a bit more on that, there's a Netflix series called The Last Dance with the Chicago Bulls right now uh, on Netflix. And that's all about, you know, Michael Jordan as the, you know, the key of the team, but again, how this team was built. And I think there's some great learnings. They came from a very bad place to become winning the NBA five times. That was a side note. I just thought it was interesting. Just scrap that thinking you had around people. What about yourself, Katie? How do you keep yourself over water in these times? Because you know, you just said as well, you know, there's no, there's no way you can chart in the moment. I, I just have to believe in doing the right thing and sit and wait on to become on the other side and people start picking up again. How do you keep yourself, you know, as a, you know, as a business leader on top of things? <laughs> My trade secrets. It's, well, it, you know, it's been a tough couple of months for, for me and for, for us at CAM in, in any way. I'm incredibly lucky. CAM is very small and I work with people that I consider to be my, my close friends. The management team here include Blake and Katie. I worked with both Blake and Katie for six years at another organization. Then I went off and started CAM and then they both came and joined me. I, I There is nobody in this industry that I respect more than those two people. And I think that they work incredibly hard. They're incredibly good as well at realizing when perhaps I am a little bit 
down and, and maybe need a little bit of a lift up. They're just so dedicated. And we really, really enjoy working with each other. And I think that picking people that you enjoy working with is almost as important as picking people with the skills that you need to do the job. We also work across the grocery industry, as I mentioned earlier, as well as the hospitality industry. So we're seeing, you know, two absolutely different situations at the moment. You know, the grocery industry is absolutely flying and we work mainly with sort of convenience and independent retail. And, you know, we're seeing there that, you know, their their main concern, again, is keeping people safe, getting product on the shelf and serving their local community. And I think that certainly at CAM, we take a lot of pleasure and pride in working in two industries where the people we are dealing with are centre of the community. So they're not just closing down in this kind of situation. People are fighting to still be heard and be part of that community and to contribute. And I think that for us, that's the bit that makes me not want to pull the duvet back over my head on a Monday morning is these guys can do it and they're sat on the front line. I can probably walk down to my downstairs office that looks out onto my garden and and get on with what we've got to get on with. From a financial point of view, no research company will be making a huge amount of money at the moment. I can tell you that for nothing. But, you know, we are taking a lot of joy in just being part of those industries and being involved. And, you know, know, I said earlier, we shouldn't shy away from talking about commercials. You know, I'm sure that the people that do the right thing in this situation will be rewarded commercially. That's not necessarily why they're doing it. Certainly not why we're doing it. But... We do want to continue being what I consider to be a bloody good research agency working across two fantastic industries. And in order to do that, we've got to make sure that we're doing all the things that we possibly can now, not just for us to survive, but to help those two industries to survive and thrive. And I think that's why I'm still getting up in the morning and, and, and running CAM is, you know, the people, the industries that I work in. And, you know, we're passionate about these areas. You know yourself, you didn't start up Bear Kitchen because you wanted to make money. You started up because you're passionate about what it stood for and the industry that it worked in. And I think that's that's the beauty of things. I think that's the beauty of working in these industries. The, the industry would need people with, uh, you know, uh, experience in this industry and the heart in the right place more than ever. So we, we, we can't leave it behind. We, we need to try to do something to keep it going and uh, sharing help, connecting people, uh, running our businesses with, uh, you know, with caring and stuff like and thinking about the long term, not what's going to happen in the next 12 months. I think that's key. And then there's just the reality of a business the situation we all are equally in we we just need to survive in the same time and get food on the table to the degree and that in the end of the podcast i normally ask for some good advice you already given that i'll phrase it a bit different to you katie i was going to say what what question what one question because you started out with saying it's important to ask yourself questions so what question should you out there as a leader ask yourself right now to ensure your future not only in three months but maybe in the next decade how do you ensure that your business is still there what could and should we be doing in 2020 as a whole that we will still be talking about in 60 years time and i'm referring specifically to the story i told about volvo what what is my seat belt what is my volvo seat belt what have i done what am i doing that actually in 60 years time someone will look back at and say wow that was good 
that was a very good question. So out there, start reflecting, and yeah, and uh, when uh, when the the podcast is live here for you, I think it'll be good to hear hear some feedback what you thought about because I think that that was a brilliant question, Katie. Thank you very much for coming on the Hospitality Mavericks podcast, Katie. There, there was absolutely uh, an inspiring and energetic uh, conversation about the industry we love. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy and. It's it's lovely to have a bit of time where you can just reflect and get passionate about, you know, as you say, the industry that we love. It's been really lovely. Thank you very much, Michael. Katie, thank you so much for your amazing wisdom on how to bounce back from the pandemic when it comes to understanding your employees and customers. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, rate, or subscribe to one of our channels. If this subject around insights and understanding your customers better interests you, I would recommend you also visit our previous episode on Surviving the Shitstorm, episode 14 with Brian Moore. Thanks to Let's Talk Video Production for your support on the podcast. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our newsletter at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be maverick.